friends and welcome to Conversations with Consequences, where we are changing the culture one conversation at a time. We are the radio show and podcast of the Catholic Association. We address the issues that interest you, puzzle you, and flame you in the hope that we can bring some clarity, even to the darkest corners. You can listen to Conversations with Consequences on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, or you can catch the encore at 5 p.m. We are also on Sirius XM Channel 130. Of course, our radio show is always a podcast. Go to thecatholicassociation.org slash podcasts or directly to wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. Thank you for joining us again this week. On today's show, we welcome back Tom Carroll. He's the superintendent of Boston Catholic Schools. He's going to talk to us about his new Edify video about putting the Catholic back into Catholic schools. going to also talk to Scott Landry. He is the talent behind Edify, which is a production of the Catholic Vote Education Fund. It's a new comprehensive digital learning platform. The latest video is of Tom Carroll and about putting the Catholic back in Catholic schools. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks. It's great to be with you, Gracie, and with your audience. Oh, it's wonderful to talk to you. And I want to alert our listeners that if this voice of Scott Landry sounds very familiar, it's because you'll be listening to his brother, Father Roger Landry. And not only do they look very much alike, but they sound uh, very much alike later in the show when Father Landry does our weekly homily. We're identical Mm -hmm. twins, Gracie, and people have debated for our 51 years on this earth whether we look more alike or whether we (laughs) sound more alike. I think many of your listeners will say, well, they at least sound very much alike uh, after they listen to the complete program today. Oh, yes. I think our listeners will be astounded. And you are very much alike physically, and you're also both uh, shining intellects, and and, in each one of you in your own way, devoted um, to the church and and being uh, part of the body of Christ, uh, very much each in your own particular charism, right? We're just both trying to live our faith uh, in, in the calling that we've experienced, Roger certainly as a priest, and I'm so proud to be his brother. Not only do I learn from him, but that he he has taught me, taught our family, taught so many others to have a greater love for everything we care about as Catholics and a greater love for God. So I'm thrilled to have him as a, as my brother. I'm just trying to not in any way try to match what he's able to do for the church, <laughs> but just in my own calling to be faithful and as a lay person to get in, involved in initiatives like uh, the Catholic Vote is now doing with the Edify initiative that I work on uh, to just use all the things I've learned in business and in life and in my Catholic faith to produce great edify videos and and work hard to maximize the number of people who see those videos. Well, I want to get to edify and we we really want to hear all about it. But maybe before we talk about that, you can tell us more about your background and uh, a couple of the other exciting things you've done. For instance, uh, you work very closely with Cardinal Sean O'Malley at the Archdiocese of Boston, but you've done other important things. Can you give us just a little biographical sketch and then we'll get to edify? Sure. So Cradle Catholic grew up in a devout home uh, that's very 
relevant to everything that I do in the church. I uh, went to Harvard College as an undergrad, uh, then worked in marketing for a couple of years, experienced people suggesting to me that I might have a call to the priesthood in addition to my twin brother, Roger. So I heard that a few times, and I pursued that for a couple of years and learned so much more about my faith as a seminarian, but recognized through discernment that God was calling me not to the priesthood. Uh, so then I went to business school uh, in my second year of business school, Mad started dating uh, the woman who's now my wife, Jimena. Um, she's a Mexican immigrant, and she's a social worker by training, and we've been married 22 years this year. After working five years in business, I admired Cardinal Sean O'Malley. I considered the role that he faced in helping the Archdiocese of Boston, where I live, to recover from the sexual abuse crisis uh, and to reach out and care for the survivors of sexual abuse to be one of the biggest leadership jobs uh, that I had ever seen. So I offered to help him. He took me up on that. For seven years, I worked directly with him in terms of media, communications, fundraising, and, and strategic initiatives for him. And then for the last eight years, I've been working with some large national Catholic initiatives that your audience, I think, would know of. Our Sunday Visitor, the largest Catholic publisher, Dynamic Catholic, another large Catholic publisher of books and uh, digital media. And now I'm at Catholic Vote. I was recruited to help launch this Edify initiative that we published our first video at the end of September last year. Hmm. And what... uh Edify. So, our, for our for our listeners, um, you can go on the web. Tell us the name of the website. How do they how do they access it? Edify.us is in the United States of America. The word edify means to teach in ways that enlighten, encourage, and uplift individuals intellectually, morally, and spiritually. And I was shocked we could get that name for this initiative. Yes, the word edify. Saint Paul used so often in his letters to encourage the Christian community to build each other up, and it was not used very much in the Catholic Church, so we were glad to be able to uh, get that URL, edify.us, and then brand all of our efforts uh, to educate and uplift Catholics under the Edify name. So it's a digital learning platform, and what's interesting about it is that it's concentrating on tough questions. And I really like that because in my experience, uh, what what happens very much at the parish level is that it's very hard for Catholics who aren't, you know, heavily involved in, in, in politics and, you know, people who just regular people raising their families, going to work. <laughs> How do we keep up with these very tough questions which keep assailing us and that we can't seem to, we can't ignore them because our children are being affected by them, we're being affected by them at work, but it's very hard for us to understand. So is that the niche you're trying to, to is that that whole you're trying to fill in, in, in the parish life, for instance? Trying to fill a couple of holes. One is that many of us of our age haven't gotten the most comprehensive or systematic faith formation on the nitty-gritty aspects of our faith. So we're trying to, in five-minute animated videos, so that the visuals on screen make it easier to retain and recall that information later. So we're trying to fill that need on a catechetical level, but more precisely, we're trying to help Catholics who um, have questions about how does the, what does it mean for how can a Catholic understand a particular issue that's hot button or a water cooler issue today? So what's a Catholic to think about transgenderism, but not just no church teaching? How do you treat somebody 
um, as a Catholic, as somebody who's known as a Catholic, as somebody who's transgender or uh, pro-abortion or thinks the practical, the practical stuff, which our faith has a lot to say, our faith has a lot to live on that, but it's not often preached about in the Sunday homilies with the frequency that can really give us guidelines. So we try to take on those hot political issues and uh, bring Catholic teaching to bear on that and to uh, always end with ways to apply it. Edify is very much about both teaching the faith, um, but through helping Catholics to implement it in a way that's faithful uh, to everything we believe is Catholic. No, this is a this is a fun. Uh, this is being promoted or funded or or uh, it comes from the the project the Catholic Vote. So there is a there is a political uh, connection to this. What and what is the connection between Edify and politics? Yeah, so Catholic Vote has been around since two thousand eight. Um, speaking for faithful Catholics in the public square and advocating for certain policies that are in line with our faith and as. Catholic Votes leaders uh, met with many of our strongest supporters and asked, what should we do next? Many pointed to this organization called PragerU, Mm -hmm. uh, which does five-minute videos on conservative issues and said it would be great if there was something like PragerU for Catholics. So Catholic Vote has always had two aspects of it. One is more political advocacy, uh, within the IRS, that's a 501c4 organization, so they, you know, Catholic Vote can lobby and do things like that. But it's also had this nonprofit 501c3 organization, which has all been about educating Catholics on the background of these issues, and particularly why our Catholic faith teaches one thing and not another thing. Within the United States, unfortunately, there are many Catholics who aren't tremendously well-formed in their faith or or for political reasons, misrepresent what our Catholic faith teaches. We have a Speaker of the House in Washington who, for example, says her Catholic faith encourages her and inspires her to fight for the expansion of abortion. It's crazy. So there's a lot of noise out there. So we try to faithfully present the Catholic teaching in bite-sized, five-minute animated videos that are easy to process, easy to retain the information, but importantly, easy to share with somebody that we know who we might uh, also assume has a question about that particular issue. And then this five-minute video can at least get them started to understand uh, what the church teaches on that issue. So I've watched all your videos, I think. I don't think I've missed any. And you have some really, you have a really fabulous lineup of, of Catholic intellectuals, um, people who have uh, made a career, rightfully, of communicating uh, in ways that that's really spark understanding in, in listeners. Uh, one of them is Mary Eberstadt. Um, she has a wonderful video. Um, what, what made you choose Mary Eberstadt? So Mary is known as one of the primary faithfully Catholic cultural commentators in America on things like what has really been the the series of damages from the sexual revolution, for one example. Or we had her on an Edify episode on identity politics and what is really at the root of identity politics. So people have been learning from Mary for years. Uh, but the average Catholic may not have ever read one of her 
uh, books or articles, and we tried to uh, allow her to speak for five minutes on identity politics. And one of my personal goals is when people see a video with Mary Eberstadt or any of our speakers, that they'll say, that's really compelling stuff. Not only did I benefit from that video, but I want to read, I want to go more deep into studying what Mary has already uh, been teaching us so that they would read her books. So luckily in the Catholic Church, as you know, we have so many wonderful teachers of the faith, but often we haven't made them widely available and accessible in, in smaller, bite-sized, five-minute formats like we're trying to do with Edify. Um, so it's just the start. You can't teach um, from A to Z on an issue in just five minutes, but you can teach A to C or A to D and get somebody started, point them to uh, resources that can help them go deeper, and that's exactly what we're doing. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Conversations with Consequences. I'm your ho- your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and I'm talking to Scott Landry. He's behind the project called Edify, launched by the Catholic Vote Education Fund, and it's a new comprehensive digital learning platform designed to deliver really good Catholic answers to tough questions. I, I do agree, Scott, that the um, that the that this bite-sized five-minute delivery is so key. People are so used to right now to getting information from YouTube from 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 short. You know, they get short bites of information delivered in a way that's compelling, that's easy for them to listen to. People, especially younger people, are not. I'm sure they're not reading like they used to, and and they're getting more and more used to this kind of communication. So, do you think? Edify is a great tool to reach a younger cohort? You're exactly right that all of us, not just young people, are receiving more information through video these days. And certainly when we were when we were younger, our target audience is younger. And uh, But it's not just for young people, these Edify videos. You know, I'm 51. Most of my peers, we didn't learn the faith great if we weren't uh, self-studying, uh, you know, as we got older. So uh, we want it to be for every The five-minute size, uh, what makes it great is that that length of video, if we know somebody who might be misinformed on a particular issue, sending them a five-minute video and asking them to watch it is a much more reasonable request than getting a recording of, uh, you know, even one of our speakers doing an hour presentation on something much longer form. Many people we would share that sort of media uh, with them might say, I might want to reach it, but that's just too big of a commitment. Whereas for five minutes, most people are like, if this is strongly being recommended to me, I can spare five minutes. And that one video can get them started to a journey of understanding the truth that the Catholic Church teaches on that one issue. And my hope with Edify is if we can have, if we can encourage people to binge, watch our videos after they watch several of them, perhaps through the power of the Holy Spirit, they start thinking in a different way. They start thinking principally as a Catholic, not principally as somebody that's been raised in our in our increasingly secular American culture. They're very shareable, the videos, as you say, because you're sending something to somebody who will not necessarily most people won't commit to watching, like you say, an hour of a video that you send them. I I completely agree with you, Scott. 
And um, one of the videos that I've shared very much is the video that your brother made, Father Roger. He did a video called Courage Over Fear. I highly recommend it to all our listeners. And I shared it a lot because um, there's a there's a there's an element of panic in our society going on right now. People are very scared of COVID. You know, people in different um, at different degrees uh, of of panic, <laughs> but but there is a general sense of terrible fear that we've been managing for the last year and a half or two years since this pandemic started. So I really, and really enjoyed uh, your, your brother's video. Thank you. And I'm sure it's obvious to your uh, listeners also of the, we ha- we're at a time of tremendous fear, tremendous concern about where our country is going, where our world is going. But that's been present since the time of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that is in Roger's video and others of our video is how often Jesus says to us, be not afraid. Mm -hmm. And we've always had things that we could be focused on that would give us cause for concern. We're hoping through Roger's video and other videos and our entire efforts at Edify to not dismiss those fears or concerns or worries, but then to point them in a way where they can do something about it. And certainly spiritually is one way we're going to point them uh, to trust more in God, focus more on Him than on your fears. But secondly, to uh, suggest things that they can do to make our country better, to make our church stronger, so that things that we're worrying about today might not be the, we might not be worrying about them in three, four, five years if, if enough of us get together and do something. That's a great point that you make because I think it's very easy. uh, We do this, I think, at every age. We think that our problems are especially difficult or or especially hard to surmount, but it's not—it's not actually a historical reality. Probably, our problems are uh, here, at least in the West, are are less difficult to surmount than than historically. than the historical reality is, right? Yep, and God made us, as we all know, and He understands the human condition much more than we do, and uh, He knows that uh, in our condition, if we focus on it, we can be uh, consumed by fears and worries and anxieties, and He wants to walk with us through that experience. He wants to take a lot of that burden off of us, and then to encourage us to help other people who are uh, facing those burdens. And those are a lot of the works of mercy that we can do as a Catholic community to heal a world that is very fearful, that is very anxious, that is very concerned. One of the things that a lot of Catholics worry about these days, I know young people are very worried. I have a son in college, and he worries all the time about saying something that will be considered um, off the reservation, right? Like basically anything that's traditional or normal or or uh, sensible these days in college. Um, so one of one of the you you have tackled this concept in, in your videos. You had um, Chris Stefanik who did a great video on, and the title is "World Gone Woke." Why did you feel that you had to focus so early in your in, in the Edify videos on this topic? So we have many Catholics like your son who have been formed well, who want to speak up, but they also don't want to be canceled. They don't want to be shamed. They don't want to lose their job necessarily for speaking from their heart, but not necessarily in the best way for that environment. So one of the reasons we asked Chris Stefanik, who has been talking about this a lot on his own platforms on Real Life Catholics, about what wokeism is, where it came from, what's a Catholic to do in response to it, and what are the best things to say? What are the best things to how 
what are what are the best approaches to con- to confront it? One of the hopes I have for Edify is that for somebody like your son, maybe he doesn't want to vocally come out and say everything that a Christophanic might say in an Edify video. So maybe the best strategy, if you're in a really hostile environment for Catholic beliefs, is to just say, "Hey, could we play this video?" And I'd like to hear your reaction to it, and let's have a conversation about it. So we pro- we we provide faithful ca- Catholics with resources to share with others, but also some ideas about exactly how to say things when we know we're in an environment that isn't really uh, receptive um, to now countercultural beliefs that we have as Catholics. And this is. Um I think it's this is a, a topic that's becoming more and more important to more and more Catholics. Would you would you agree that every, every it seems like every week it's getting a little hotter out there in the public square? No question. It's the wave of secularism is trying to get stronger. One of the reasons I chose to take on this role uh, for Edify at Catholic Vote is because I believe if there aren't hundreds or thousands of us stepping forward who know what the Catholic Church teaches is true. It can help make our country better if we cared if we cared more in many different ways about human dignity or the other themes of Catholic social teaching. But it takes people willing to work hard to make that a reality, both to play defense but also to play offense on that. And I hope that through everything we do at Catholic Vote, for everything you do and the so many great Catholic apostolates and media shows that we have, that not only do we help Catholics to know their faith better, but that we inspire all of us to say, I might not be able to do everything, but I can do one thing or I can do a couple of things uh, to help um, make it so that our country is is a wonderful place to live for everybody, including folks that uh, practice their Catholic faith with a lot of intentionality. And tell us, Scott, how do you uh, how do you manage that to walk that that line between Catholics that consider themselves on on the liberal end of the spectrum and Catholics on the more conservative end? And and I can see that you don't shy away from the topics that might divide us. So, for instance, you have an, a video on um, whether or not vaccine mandates are ethical. Right, with Professor Hochschild, who's a philosopher. You have, um, you have, of course, you have Supreme Court and abortion with uh, Carter Sneed. These are topics that I mean, there is an a, a, um, an outfit called Catholics for Choice, <laughs> which I think that they're misusing the word Catholic. But how do you approach that idea that some Catholics are going to find themselves in, a, in different camps, like on the social justice uh, uh, topic, for instance? So personally, I've worked in the you know the fields of evangelization and apologetics in my personal life and for some of the roles that I've been in, I always give people on the other side the benefit of the doubt unless I think they're part of an organization that's a total fraud. So you may you named one Catholics for Choice. There aren't any members in Catholics for Choice. They're really not living their faith. It's a fraud organization to try to make it easier for some Catholics who might think that they're pro-choice to feel like they're at home within the Catholic Church instead mm-hmm. of to do an examination of conscience. So, you know, taking the fraud groups and uh, a few individuals out, I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. I don't take for granted 
granted that uh, any Catholic through the parish they grew up in or the experiences they might have had as a young person has necessarily been given the gift of great teachers in the faith. So I try to assume they might just be uninformed. I pray for them, and then I try to share them the truth in as clear and as entry-level a language as possible so that they can hear it maybe clearly for the first time, Mm -hmm. and then try to spark in themselves, again, the grace of the Holy Spirit, that maybe it's something that I say that plants a seed for them that the Holy Spirit then uses to get them to study something. Generally speaking, if you can, uh, uh, my strategy is if you lead uh, people to understand that the Catholic Church, we teach truth, we teach something that's better for humans on one issue. If they sincerely change their mind because the truth is presented to them clearly, but with love, walking with them at their own pace, and then it happens on a second issue, well, then they're going to be the ones that are helping other people because, you know, that momentum is strong enough where they'll uh, access the truth on many more issues without our help. But I pray for them that they'll then experience the joy of helping people to see the truth for the first time. And the most important truth we're talking about is who God is, who we are made in God's image and likeness, what matters most in life, not only individually, but in their society, and what matters less. And the answers, the teachings that we're receiving from our culture are off on so many of those things. People will be happier if they know uh, the truth that God wants them to know, and then they put it into practice, and we're trying to do that at Edify. Well, that's that's absolutely true, and that's been entirely my experience, too. When people are exposed to the truth with love and understanding and meeting them where they are, right, with a lot of patience, they really are able to grasp it. Not only do they grasp it, uh, they, they embrace it fervently. They're very happy to meet the truth when it's finally presented to them. Now, Scott, we're almost out of time, but I wanted to mention that our next guest on this one show is Tom Carroll, and he's the superintendent of the, the Catholic schools uh, in Boston. Um, so what's what's uh, he's he's your newest uh, video? What's he going to be talking about? Because I haven't seen the video. So Tom's video is putting the Catholic back in Catholic schools. Tom is a leader of uh, Catholic education across the country. He has done it in very innovative ways his entire professional life, and he. Uh, has just formed the newest school in America. I'm sure you'll talk about that with him, Lumen Verum Academy, with a great team up in Boston, a hybrid school. Uh, But Tom's video is about how do we help Catholic schools be truly Catholic so that they're forces of evangelization and goodness who can propel those students to be leaders in the Catholic faith, not just to know a little bit about what our Catholic Church teaches, but to be fully formed in a Catholic worldview and mindset so that they can change the world when they graduate from Catholic schools. And that that is the mission that we strong Catholics would want for any Catholic school we would send our kids to. Uh, we have some great schools like that in America, but a lot of Catholic schools are declining in many ways and often too focused on staying open. So uh, within their context, not presenting the Catholic faith as clearly as a gift to the students as possible. Well, Tom's trying to change that, and his five-minute edify video shares six uh, ways to put the Catholic back in Catholic school. 
Well, it's a fabulous topic. And in fact, all the topics of your videos are fabulous. I highly recommend them to our listeners. You can find them at edify.us. And thank you very much, Scott Landry, for telling us about your fabulous project. It's a joy to be with you, Gracie. Thanks for all the good that you do to help folks know uh, what the Catholic faith teaches and to help them put it into practice. Welcome back to Conversations with Consequences on EWTN Radio. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and now I'd like to welcome back Tom Carroll. He is the superintendent of Boston Catholic Schools, working so hard in the last uh, three years, right through the pandemic, to keep Catholic schools in Boston Catholic. Welcome back to the show, Tom. Thanks. Glad to be on again. Tom, talk with you. Tom, um, you, you've had such a difficult job the last couple of years. Uh, everyone involved in trying to keep schools running and going and the children well cared for um, has been at their wits end for the last couple of years. But you've done a remarkable job as superintendent of the Boston Catholic Schools. Thank you. I'm, I'm coming up on my third anniversary in April and it's 10 or 11 months into it, COVID hit. Wow. So it, the job has ended up being different than I originally anticipated. But while COVID has had you know a dramatic impact. It also has been a moment for Catholic schools to shine, yes. and it's a and it's been a moment in which we've actually thrived. So first, because in the first year after school year after COVID broke, the public schools, at least in Massachusetts, were all closed, and the Catholic schools were all open. We decided early and rather loudly that we were committed to bringing all the kids back into the schools in person. They wanted to be with their teachers, they wanted to be with their friends, and their parents wanted them learning, and so they knew that was the best thing for their so and emotional health. And that's what we did. And so from the moment at which the teachers unions announced that the schools were not opening in person, we gained 4,400 students. This is after <laughs> 60 years of every single year being down. Uh-huh. Uh, and then this year, when people thought when the public schools reopened that you know a lot of the people would go back, we actually gained another 1,300 kids on top of that. So almost 6,000 children have switched over in about 18 months. And I think it's a combination of reasons. One, because we're open, obviously. But I also think, you know, there are some wacky things going on in public <laughs> schools these days. And I think uh, regardless of which president, presidential candidate a particular parent voted for, I think an awful lot of parents are uncomfortable with a lot of things that are going on in the public schools right now. And they're looking for kind of a more traditional, more common sense, more faithful approach to education. And I think they appreciate the sense of community and the fact that, you know, we treat every child as they're created in the image and likeness of God, because we believe that to our core. And that reflects in how we reacted to the pandemic. It drove our decision to stay open when they were closed. And it's reflected in the sense of community and joy that we have within our schools. Catholicism is at its heart a joyful religion. And uh, we try every day to impart that to the children in our custody. Another thing that happened to public school parents is that when the children were not going to school, they were taking class from home. And I had this experience, not with my, I don't have children in public school, but with my college student, I was able to to see what he was studying. And I was horrified. <laughs> and I think a lot of parents, I know a lot of parents with their kids in public school were, were given a real taste of the way that political and social ideologies had replaced so much of traditional learning that they thought the children were actually doing in public school. You know, what's going on right now is it's first it started 
you know, and more broadly in the higher education institutions in terms of becoming more political, uh, more ideological, and also viewing people, frankly, as purely as members of identity groups, mm-hmm. where the Catholic vision is that we're all equal, you know, in the eyes of God and created in his image. We're not created as members of identity groups. And so I think it's a incredibly uh, dangerous thing to teach kids that way. But all the teachers, you know, that are coming out of education school, they obviously are in higher education. And so a lot of the ideas that have swept have been kind of trendy on college campuses obviously have affected education schools. And when they affect education schools, they're also affecting the teachers and K-12 schools mm-hmm. because they're all being raised up in these schools on all of these ideas. You know, some people like it. An awful lot of people don't like it. And our view is, you know, we don't we don't preach politics in our Catholic schools. We don't care who somebody voted for. And teachers are explicitly instructed that they're not allowed to share their political views with children. Uh, they're there to teach. They're there to be witnesses to Jesus Christ and impart our faith to the children. They're not there to proselytize politics and ideology. They're there to, you know, advance children, bring them, draw them closer to Jesus Christ and set them on the path to eternal salvation. That's the number one goal of Catholic schools. It's not to turn little children into political warriors or pawns in some ideological fight. Wow, yeah, there's too much of that going on uh, outside our Catholic schools. But our Catholic schools can't help but be infected with some of those same problems because, let's face it, the culture is redolent with it. And also the teachers are coming and the administrators are coming from the outside culture, sometimes bringing some of these ideas that exist in their brains that maybe they don't even know they're thinking that way. That's become sort of second nature to them, things of racialism and other ideologies that are so anti-Catholic. So you you, you had a great idea and, and you worked with, with Scott Landry, who, that, who we just had on in the show just before you came on and you made a video for edify their very la- their very latest video which is fabulous it's five minutes long and it's about how catholic schools what are the elements that a catholic school has to have to be catholic so tell us about your video and then if, if you don't mind we can talk about the six elements that that you um that you laid out so well Sure. So I've been superintendent almost three years and every single day I feel stronger and stronger that the key to Catholic schools thriving is for Catholic schools to actually be Catholic. So I joke, I need to put in my business card, putting the Catholic back in Catholic <laughs> schools. And not just because I, I, I think it would be good for business, so to speak, for our schools from an enrollment perspective, but because I think literally, if you look around the institutions that are left, given how the culture has kind of crumbled around us, that the only institution I believe is capable of restoring our church and protecting the inheritance we have, which is the Catholic intellectual tradition, are the Catholic schools. If our Catholic schools aren't sufficiently Catholic and they're not evangelizing the faith, there isn't going to be anybody in the churches in a generation from now. And so I really think that this is, you know, a battle for the millennia, if you will, for the souls and the salvation of the children uh, who are in their custody. But I also think the Catholic Church is one of the last institutions left that stands for truth. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of people who would like to, you know, topple the Catholic Church because then they'd have no obstacle left. Uh, But I think the schools have to uh, be a large part of that. I think the world needs children who embrace the truths of our church, who understand that God created man and woman, who believe in the sanctity of life, who see the human dignity of each of God's children, and who believe in objective truth. And that's not going to happen by accident. It only happens by design. So in a Boston context, um, I've appointed in just two years 25 new principals all of whom go through, thanks to the Beckett Fund winning the Our Lady of Guadalupe case, uh, go through a religious screen 
to make sure that they're fully committed to passing on the Catholic faith to the children in their custody. And so, but there, there's, that's just one thing we have to do. So if, if I just roll into the six things to put the Catholic back in Catholic school, the first is the leader of a Catholic school has to be not only Catholic, but they have to be a true witness to the faith. Somebody who's a role model for children and is an evangelist for our faith and is, is completely committed to that. Mm-hmm. Second, the school's academic program has to reflect the full breadth of the Catholic intellectual tradition. You honestly, to be intellectually honest, you cannot conceive a Western civilization without the existence of the Catholic Church. We've made contributions in areas as diverse as art, architecture, music, literature, philosophy, human rights, and science. Uh, and we have a an intellectual tradition that rivals that of any other faith. A Catholic school in which the only Catholic aspect of the curriculum is a religious class that you take for 40 or 50 minutes a day is one that's essentially treating Catholicism as a footnote to the day. And it essentially gives the rest of the day over to the secular gods. And I think that's a huge mistake. Third, the faculty of the school needs to be comprised of individuals who are accomplished, committed to academic rigor, but most importantly, represent the faith or reflect the faith in their words, but also in the lives they lead. Children may be short, but they're not stupid, and they can see hypocrisy a mile away. And so I think we have to be a little more assertive about it, that we're putting role models in front of children, and they do need to be role models uh, for our faith as well. Fourth, political correctness, as we talked about before, first to call in our college and universities, but it's now infiltrating K-12 schools, particularly secondary schools. So I think that has to be, we have to be, you know, a truly Catholic school has to embrace truth, not relativism. You have to see individuals as a creation of God, not a members merely of identity groups. And you have to uphold the human dignity of all the lives from conception to natural death, regardless of the values of popular culture. And then fifth, we have to make sure that children are given the opportunity to build positive relationships with seminarians, priests, religious brothers, sisters. I think these relationships are a central part of instilling our faith in our children. So I have a new school, uh, Lumen Verum Academy, which is a classical academy, and we spend a tremendous amount of time bringing children in, in contact with all the people who have chosen the vocation of being in religious life. And lastly, I think children need to see vividly on a daily basis that Catholicism is its core, a joyful and an optimistic faith, a hopeful faith. Through the Sacrament of Reconciliation, for example, no matter how many times you make a mistake or how many times we all stumble on our path, we each have a second chance to redeem ourselves on our path to eternal salvation. I just think that that you know, we're kind of a church of second chances, and I think that's absolutely great. And so people, you know, people sometimes talk about all the rules of the Catholic Church or whatever, uh, but I really think that what the Catholic Church offers is essentially joyful. And it is also, we understand that all of us uh, slide back from time to time, but through the sacrament, you have a chance to kind of remake yourself. So our culture, I believe, is under attack. Our values are being eroded and our faith is being mocked. And we have a really clear choice right now. We can stand by and do nothing, or we can restore our Catholic schools to be a force for good amid the much broader cultural decline. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Conversations with Consequences on EWTN Radio. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and I'm talking to Tom Carroll, who is the superintendent of Boston Catholic Schools. You know, 
it's it's wonderful the way you're able to put together in just six points um, something that I think would have taken me a long time to come up with, but that I've been experiencing. I've had children in Catholic school for now 24 or five years, and I still have several years left because uh, my children are rather far apart, and there's a lot of them. I've I can see all these different elements that you've been able to to detail and to to tease out, and they're all so important. Uh, one of the things that has been very difficult over the years, even even in the most uh, wonderful parochial school that my children have gone to, is that the, the faculty, your third point, that the faculty, I'm not sure necessarily believe the faith, but they have to understand and be able to communicate it, and they have to be able to not contradict it with their lives and with the way that they that they speak about ob- the subjects that have nothing to do with the faith, in a sense, right? And that's something that I've had an experience, many difficult experiences with, and it hasn't, and mostly just due to lack of formation on the side of the faculty. I focused initially just on making sure I got truly faithful principles, and but now I've come to, you know, when I think about it more deeply, the magic that happens in the school happens within the four walls of a, a classroom, uh, usually with the door closed, right? So mm-hmm. we have to pay great attention to the quality of the individual, the character of that individual, how well they were catechized, and whether they're actually like a true witness to the faith. And so I've been going around, I've spent the last couple of months uh, flying around the country, even though a superintendent normally doesn't hire teachers, principals normally do. But we're having trouble finding enough faithful teachers for all of our schools. And we hire about 300 teachers a year. We're a pretty large diocese. We have 3,000 teachers overall, another 1,200 support staff. So I've been going to colleges that are all on the recommended list from the Cardinal Newman Society. So recently I was out at Thomas Aquinas College in California, and they also have a campus in Massachusetts. I'm going to head out to Ave Maria, going to Franciscan, Belmont Abbey, and so forth. Yeah, and I'm just basically, I've, I've joked, I've, I've become a fisher of men and women. <laughs> Um, and I'm, and what I'm finding is an incredible, it's really, really, I mean, the, the problem is daunting and sometimes discouraging, but I, when I meet the young people that are grad, that are seniors in those schools, it gives one hope. They're all intellectually curious. They're all shockingly, delightfully faithful. Uh, they're all hardworking and they're all socially committed, meaning they're very, very interested in teaching. So I'm getting dozens and dozens of of people that are very interested in moving to Boston to be part of what we're trying to do uh, to you know, put the Catholic back in Catholic schools, if you will. And I think ultimately, you know, we just have to do the hard work of finding, it's a huge, gigantic nationwide talent search. And some people have complained to me, like, why are you going outside of Massachusetts to find teachers? And talent doesn't know geographic mm-hmm. boundaries. I find it everywhere I go. Even when I jog, I'll give a speech, I'll walk into a restaurant, I'll be at a church, I'll run into somebody who I'm impressed with, and I'll just walk up to them and ask if they've ever considered wanting to be a teacher. And I think in an earlier time, a lot of these idealistic people would have joined the Peace Corps. 20 years ago, a lot of these kinds of people would have joined Teach for America. But I'm finding in Catholic colleges where faith is taken seriously, there's a tremendous interest in evangelizing the faith. And I've met the most extraordinary. Every time I meet them, I call my wife like, I need to adopt these 20 or 30 people because like, I I wish they were in my family. But since I can't do that, I'm at least going to try to get them in our schools. And so we're bringing them all to Boston and we're, you know, they're lining up the principals to interview all of them. Um, but I think the only way to run a really faithful school is to have it be led by somebody who's a witness to faith and have witnesses to the faith in every single classroom. And that's going to take a long time to do. I don't think me jetting around the country, I'm going to 
you know, find 300 people all at the first time. But we're going to start off with certainly with a few dozen, and then we're going to build from there. And the colleges are, I, I think there's a lot of times, you know, you have unemployed liberal arts majors, and uh, not everybody's looking for uh, a super faithful Catholic in their schools. But I'm telling you, the gifts that they have should be the most prized possessions and uh, for people who are trying to restore the culture and the Catholic intellectual tradition in this country. And I prize what they have, and I'm hoping that they join us in Boston, because we're going to welcome them with big open arms. Wow, you know, that's really hopeful to hear you say that, and the fact that you're so involved in that, in that beautiful search. I love that you're fishing, fishing for wonderful men and women to teach the next generation. It's so necessary. And you're not only fishing for the right people, you've actually created... Um, a whole new model of education in your in your new school, Lumen Verum. Tell our listeners about that. I know you've been on before, um, but maybe they missed that episode. So tell us about Lumen Verum. Sure, sure. So my diagnosis of the problem here is in, in fifth grade, children, boys or girls, pretty much believe whatever their parents, usually their mother, believes about religion. And then in sixth and seventh grade, they start asking questions. But when they have questions, and I'm glad that they ask questions because it gives us all an opportunity to, to provide them with answers. But when they ask questions in a typical school, they look to the right or the left. And with all due respect, their knucklehead friends are not exactly moral theologians, right? Mm -hmm. And so then when they look at the front of the room, because Catholic schools hire lots of people who aren't Catholic. I mean, 80% of our teachers are Catholic, but not all of them are. Um, there's a chance that the teacher's not even Catholic. There's also a chance that they're Catholic in a sense of like a, a cultural designation, like in Boston, if you're Irish Catholic, it's almost one word. There's no separation between the two words. It's a cultural identifier. It's not necessarily a statement of belief. And then even people who are faithful and go to church, there have been a lot of people, millions of people, that have been poorly catechized. And so I think it's important that in that moment that the person at the head of the room who's guiding the instruction actually be somebody who's, a wit who's projecting the faith as a witness, but also has actually been trained and is equipped to answer those kids sometimes ask, you know, the most profound questions. They don't necessarily realize they're asking a profound question. Bishop Barron does a lot of, takes a lot of questions from kids. And some of the questions are amazing and they lead to a really deep conversation. But that conversation is only going to go a good way if the person who's leading the conversation actually knows what they're talking about. And they actually understand our faith. So I wanted to create a school in which the number one mission of the school was the eternal salvation of the children in the school. And that our commitment to the parents is above everything else, above football, above anything else that you could come up as a priority or whether you have the best, you know, STEM labs or what have you. The number one priority is making sure that that fifth grader, when he enters our school in sixth grade, we will take him from sixth grade to 12th grade and do everything humanly possible to not only retain their faith, but to deepen their faith. And the one thing we won't do is destroy their faith. And so to do that, it changes the design of the school. First, the school only hires devout practicing Catholics in every position. It doesn't make a difference whether you're an accountant, you're picking up garbage, or you're teaching a class, anybody that a student comes in contact uh, is somebody who is a representative of the Catholic faith, a solid, you know, solid person who uh, is living the faith and can articulate the faith. So and the two leaders of the school, we have one who works on the faith side, the other on the academic side. Secondly, we embed the Catholic intellectual tradition in every single subject. And we instruct teachers, unlike a public school where you get in trouble if you talk about your faith. I want the teachers talking about the faith. If you went to adoration the night before and just had the most amazing experience, I want you talking about that in front of children. If you just had an incredible confession, 
um, that just made you feel better and kind of set you on a path to, you know, write whatever sins you might have committed. I want you, without going into the details, of course, but I want you to explain kind of the sense of relief and hope and that you felt the grace of God. I want that to be explained to children. So those are the kinds of people I want to be surrounded by. But it also means you can't you can't segregate religion, kind of ghettoize it just in a religion class. We do have theology classes, but there is a Catholic message in everything we do. We go on a hike, much like uh, St. John Paul II used to take young men on hikes because he was accompanying them on a faith journey. It wasn't really about hiking. It wasn't really about the kayaking trips he took them on. It was about accompanying them, and eventually, as he established relationships with them, he took them on a faith journey. So even when we go to a robes course or we take somebody on a hike, we go to the top. When we get to the summit of the mountain, we have a priest with us, and the priest sets up an altar, and we say a Catholic mass on the summit of the mountain, surrounded by all the awe and wonder of God's creation. So we're very deliberate, and we're basically flooding the zone, to use a sports metaphor, with nuns, with priests, with religious brothers, with seminarians. So I have, last week we had a seminarian come over and tell his discernment story, like what was involved in him deciding to become a priest. And we have a, a fabulous order of nuns here, uh, which Mary Daughter in Nazareth is the name of the order, headed by Mother Olga, and who's from Iraq originally. But she's older, but the nuns are very, nuns that just these beautiful young order of nuns and they're active with our school at lumen verum all the time and then we have priests that are involved with our school on everything from having lunch with the kids or dinner with the kids to going on a hike with them or just showing up and talking to them or teaching a particular class and then as you know because you've participated part of our week is virtual it allows us to get anybody in the english-speaking world or somebody in the non-english-speaking world who happens to speak english to be part of our extended faculty. So we obviously talk to you about just what you see about the beginning of life through uh, the, the technology of ultrasound and how you refer to uh, your patients as patients and persons, not as you know clumps of cells, as uh, one politician once said. And so they're getting uh, Mary Rice Hassan is another one, Chris Stefanik, Jason Everett, uh, George Weigel's going to do a segment for us on teaching totalitarianism in the 20th century through the lens of the life of St. John Paul II. Nice. So the kids are getting an extraordinary, extra and we have a professor, Charlie Camosi at Fordham, who has a fabulous book which I recommend to everybody called The Throwaway Culture, Resisting the Throwaway Culture, in which a lot of people think that the Catholic positions on issues like abortion or homelessness or immigration were all just random political positions, even though the church was obviously around thousands of years before the United States was even created. But what he teaches our kids is the consistent moral theology that undergirds everything from uh, conception to sanctity of life to end-of-life issues how we treat people with disabilities, how we treat the marginalized and dispossessed, and even issues like pornography, for example. That the Catholic Church's position on all of that is very consistent and steeped in our view of human dignity, and that we're all created in the image and likeness of God. So we have a college professor teaching at the moment. Kids are in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And then I have a gentleman, Paul Rose, who's teaching debate, not as a club, but as a subject. Uh, for some of your listeners who know who Lila Rose is, this is one of her brothers. 
used to be a national uh, debate champion. But we not only want kids to understand all of church teaching, we want them to be able to write well, speak well, debate, and understand the art of persuasion. Because this isn't, in a sense, like a Benedict option, like I'm just taking people who agree with that other. We want these people to go forward out into the world, and we want them not to be what I call sarcastically tail between the legs Catholics, Catholics who don't want to admit they're Catholic because they're trying to avoid an argument. I want them to be proud without being arrogant about being Catholic and know why they should be proud. So we, we essentially created Western civilization. We wrote the Bible. You can't go to any place on the globe where the poor, dispossessed, and marginalized be served and not run into a Catholic missionary. Uh, we've been a force of good in the world for thousands of years. And so there's nothing you know that they should be ashamed about. They should be proud to be part of that faith and that tradition. But they need to be taught it to understand that. You can't assume that little kids will know that. So we're taking the time to walk them through all of it. That doesn't mean there's never been any mistakes made. The church, after all, is based on original sin. So it's not like we don't believe sin will occur. But we want people to understand the nature of sin. We want people to understand concepts like free will or words like suffering that have a very distinctively meaning in a Catholic, distinctive meaning in a Catholic context. And you know, so what, what I like about Lumen yeah. Verum Academy is that you're building something from the ground up in a way that directly addresses all the problems that, that the culture is presenting us uh, from a Catholic perspective and not sort of retrofitting a Catholic school, but that maybe is using um, elements from before when the culture was different, but actually starting, you know, facing forward at, at what's really in front of us. That's what I sense about Lumen Verum, that you're um, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's how it seems to me that you're really building it from the ground up to meet today's exact moment that our children are, are meeting so many times without anything to help them, no, to combat what's going on around them. Yeah. So, so I, the way I look at it, Lumen Verum stands for true light. So, uh, so this Lumen Verum is in my mind, like the most perfect version of what it should like, yes. should look like. Uh, but at the same time, recruiting school leaders and recruiting teachers because I believe we shouldn't just I have a hundred other schools and I don't think we should walk away from them schools. Ma many not. of them are, are, are very devout but we have some that have been secularized to be honest and so we're trying to you know put the Catholic back in in Catholic schools and I believe it will transform the children in them and over time I think the parents will learn to appreciate the difference it's made in how their child behave and act and what they aspire for. So I'm not giving up on trying to fix what's broken, um, but I think people need to see what it looks like in a more perfect version so people understand the vision of what's possible. And I think that will shine in greater relief that a lot of people have settled for something that is pretty far from perfect. And I don't think they need to. Parents are the first to educate their children. They have a right to, to be viewed as partners. And you think of all the, like, the political stuff that went on in Virginia and stuff. You know, people taking position that parents have no right to be involved in any decisions or what their kids are taught. I simply don't believe that. So we're listening very carefully to what parents are looking for. And parents who want to make sure their child retains their faith, I don't know why we're not all doing, you know, backflips to make sure we can help them on that journey. I think that should be our highest calling. I want to partner with the parents to do that. And well, so we're trying to find every way to make that possible. 
Well, I think a great start for parents, for our listeners, is to go to edify.us and listen and watch your, your great five-minute video on how to put the Catholic back into Catholic schools. So thank you, Tom Carroll, uh, for joining us. And where can people learn more about Lumen Verum Academy and, and this great dream of yours? Yeah, so Lumen Verum Academy, the, the website's pretty straightforward. It's www.lumenverumacademy.org. And so anybody who's interested in learning more can reach us through the website. There's a messaging aspect to the website. And anybody who lives in reasonable proximity to the Archdiocese of Boston can actually enroll their children. We'll eventually be grades 6 through 12. Right now, we're 6 through 8. Next year, we'll be 6 through 9. And we'll add a grade each year. Well, wonderful. We'll pray for your great project, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. And now, Father Roger Landry offers us, as is customary, a short and inspiring homily to prepare us for this Sunday's Gospel. This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a privilege for me to be with you. As we enter into the consequential conversation Jesus wants to have with us in this Sunday's Gospel, when we prayerfully penetrate into the vocational dialogue he had with St. Peter. This conversation is so pivotal to Catholic faith that in 2001, when St. John Paul II was giving us his pastoral plan for the third Christian millennium, he took the motto for the thousand-year period of Christianity we've just begun from Jesus' words to Peter, Duke and Altum, put out into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch, we'll hear this Sunday. St. John Paul II was convinced that these words aptly describe the church's situation and what needs to be her response. When we examine this Sunday's gospel more closely, we see why. Early one morning, Jesus was at the shore of the Sea of Galilee teaching. As more people began to awaken and come down to the shore, the crowd listening to Jesus grew. Jesus asked Simon Peter to borrow his boat so that he might sit a little away from the shore to teach the crowds which were crushing him. With the wind coming over his shoulder as a natural amplifier, Jesus nourished the famished crowds with his words. But it was no coincidence that Jesus was there that morning. It was no coincidence that he asked to borrow Simon's boat. Jesus had come to do more than teach the crowd. He had come to catch a big fish. He had come to convert and call Simon Peter. After Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, Put out into the deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Few statements could have sounded more ridiculous to a fisherman. Simon must have had to control himself from saying something unkind. He was a professional on the Sea of Galilee. Like all other fishermen, he knew that fish were successfully caught in shallow water at nighttime, not in deep water in broad daylight. It would be as if a fisherman had told Jesus a carpenter to drive a nail by holding the head of the hammer and striking the nail with the handle. It made no sense, totally counterintuitive. Moreover, Peter was exhausted after a long night. He was frustrated that he had nothing to show for hours of hard work. He had just spent time cleaning all of his equipment to put everything away for the day. So in what was probably the nicest way he could, he replied, Master, we've worked all night, but have caught nothing. He likely looked silently into Jesus' eyes for understanding, but Jesus didn't flinch. He looked at Peter intensely without saying a word. What was going on in Peter's mind? Peter might have been whispering to himself, no one has ever spoken like this one. 
Is it possible that he might know something I don't about fishing? Probably not. Although how can I refuse what he asks and embarrass him and embarrass myself in front of this entire crowd? Peter finally gave in. He told Jesus, At your word, I will lower the nets. They got into the boat again and paddled far away from shore into the deep water. Probably many of those who had listened to Jesus were watching to see how the drama would unfold. And we know what happened. Peter and his companions won the fishermen's equivalent of the megabucks, catching so many fish that their nets were about to break and two boats were about to sink. Peter couldn't help but think, however, that he was unworthy of such a gift from God. Rather than run to Jesus, hug and thank him, he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged, Depart from me, Lord, from a sinful man. He was afraid of what this blessing to such a sinner might mean. Jesus spoke right to Peter's heart and said, Don't be afraid. Then he gave Peter his vocation. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to shore, Peter and Andrew, James and John left everything behind, their fishing vessels, their nets, the treasure they had just caught, and followed Jesus. And they went out on a worldwide fishing expedition. As we would see after the resurrection, when the Lord would renew Peter in his mission by recapitulating that wondrous draft of fish, Peter would catch 3,000 on Pentecost, putting out into the deep at the Lord's command and continuing to do so until he would proclaim the gospel by his crucifixion three decades later in Rome. John Paul II proposed Jesus' imperative put out into the deep water as the motto for our life in the church in this third millennium because so often we can feel in Peter's sandals. Many areas of life, but particularly in spiritual concerns, we can work so hard and seem to have so little to show for it. In our prayer life, we can sometimes think we're getting nothing out of it. With our call to spread the gospel, we can strive diligently to share our faith with our husband or wife, with our kids, with our siblings and friends, with our grandkids, with our co-workers, with our fellow students, and believe we've made no progress. With regard to the culture that surrounds us, it's not uncommon for people to become exasperated, not knowing even where to begin to help turn our society right side up and become more moral. To each of these situations, Jesus says, like he said to Peter, put out into the deep water, trust in me. We might think that from a human point of view, what Jesus asks to, us to do makes little or no sense, or would be a total waste of time. We can think the odds seem so slim. Jesus, after all, says so many things that fly in the face of the common human way of looking at things. Happy are the poor in spirit, the pure of heart, the peacemakers, those who mourn, who hunger for holiness, who are persecuted. Unless you pick up your cross daily and follow me, turn the other cheek as well. Forgive seventy times, seven times. Heaven rejoices more for one repentant sinner, unless you gnaw on my flesh and drink my blood. But to each of these, like Peter, we're called to say, Lord, at your word I will lower the nets, leave behind the security of the shore and human wisdom, and put out into the deep, trusting that all things are possible with God. So the first reason John Paul II proposed Duke and Altum, put out into the deep, as our motto, is because it points to a trust in the Lord's words above every other factor, that even if we were to have all the professors in the world on one side, and Jesus alone on the other, we should trust Jesus. But that's not the only reason the Pope selected it. In it as well, we find very clearly spelled out what our Christian vocation and mission is in the midst of this time. 
The Lord Jesus calls each of us, as he called Peter and Andrew, James and John, to be a fisher of men, to go out to try to bring other fish into the salvation of Peter's boat, the church, in which Christ is still sitting and teaching. Being a fisher of men is the job not only of priests and bishops, or of nuns and catechists and Catholic school teachers, but each of us. It's our mission as a Christian, flowing from our vocation. It's not enough for us merely to pray each day. It's not enough for us faithfully to live by Christ's commandments and then mind our business. Christ calls us to love our neighbor. And the greatest act of love we can do for our neighbor is to bring the neighbor to Christ and bring Christ to our neighbor. Just like in the Gospel, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the soon-to-be apostles, called to their friends in the other boat to come and help them. So the successors of St. Peter and the Apostles are calling to us, their friends, to come to help them bring more and more fish into Peter's boat to share in the task of the new evangelization. That's why St. John Paul II told us back in 2001, at the beginning of this new millennium and at the close of the Great Jubilee, during which we celebrated the 2000th anniversary of the birth of Jesus and a new stage of the Church's journey begins. Our hearts ring out with the words of Jesus when he invited the apostle to put out into the deep for a catch. Duke and Altum. Peter and his first companions trusted Christ's words and cast the net. Duke and Altum. These words ring out for us today. We must look ahead. We must put out into the deep, trusting in Christ's words. As this millennium begins, allow the successor of Peter to invite the whole church to make this act of faith. At Mass on Sunday, we will make that act of faith together. Jesus will get into Peter's boat, the symbol of the church, again. He will teach us the crowds from the pulpit through his priest or deacon. He knows how hard we've been working, how frustrated we may be by our failures, how sinful a man or woman we are, but tells us to trust in him as he sends us out again, despite it all, when we least expect it, to where we least expect it. He wants to send us out to the deep waters in broad daylight as fishes of men, as hard-working dependable collaborators in the new evangelization. To strengthen us for this mission, he'll feed us with his body and blood. Let us humbly, like St. Peter, respond, Lord, at your word I will lower the nets, and with faith set out together to catch as many as possible for Christ. God bless you all. Thank you, Father Landry. To hear more from Father Landry, check out his website at catholicpreaching.com, and you can also catch his writings at EWTN's own National Catholic Register. A big thank you to all our listeners for joining us. I hope that this show was helpful. I hope that it gave you more peace and more hope and more joy, and you go with our prayers. 